So we're we're recording, man. We're we're re- we're in it. We are in it. All right. This. Let's do this. Hey guys. <laughs> hey guys, welcome to the new normal where we are going to be talking about current events, finances, philosophy, preparedness, and more. My name is Sal, and with me I have my good friend Quentin. Say hi to everybody. What's up, guys? So what is the new normal? I think we're just going to jump right into it tonight. Um, there's been a lot of talk. I think it goes without saying that we are we are living in interesting times. If you're joining us for this very first episode, this is episode one of the new normal podcast. Um, you're you're going to understand where we're coming from when it comes to the new normal, what that means to us. Um, I've heard some disparaging things about the new normal and how people are using it in the context of this coronavirus, this totalitarian police state draconian, so and so, all these things that are happening in our society right now. And there are people out there that are saying, well, this is just the new normal. We have to get used to it. And I think when when you and I wanted to put this together, we thought the new normal for us was a mind shift change. And looking at the world from a different perspective and living in the reality of, of where we are. And that is the new normal. However you see it, be it negative or positive, the mindset is, is really where I think new normal for me personally uh, really jumps into it. And so as, as we introduce the show, we're going to be talking about current events and finances and philosophy and preparedness. And all these different things have really changed my mindset over the last few years and then, you know, more recently over the last few months and how I deal with my surroundings, things that are of my control. So I think if you're joining us for the very first time, first of all, I think I, I just want to extend a deep appreciation for, for you even wanting to figure out what, what this show is going to be about. So. We've got some headlines that we're going to be talking about today. We've got some different topics that we'll cover over the next few shows. Um, and then as we get our feet wet with this whole podcasting thing, you know, we'll, we'll probably find our, our pace and, and uh, we appreciate your patience with us. So Quentin, why don't you start off by introducing yourself and, and give us a little bit of background. So my name is Quentin Alderman. Um, I've known Sal for a while now. Um, he and I got together. Uh, I'm not going to give a whole bunch of background about my life. I mean, That's boring, fine. <laughs> uh, boring, but uh, yeah, uh, he, he and I got together um, about a month ago and uh, when all this started kicking off and uh, just had a conversation about uh, trying to make a positive change and doing something kind of, uh, you know, keeping people focused. You know, people seem to be losing focus and losing sight on the big picture um, with everything going on these days. And are drowning in headlines, and thought maybe we could help people make sense of the things that are going on in the world, and things that uh, could be potentially affecting them, and things that we're told that are supposed to affect you, and just really don't. Um, so, yeah, that's where I'm at. And hopefully, in this uh, podcast, we can kind of uh, talk about you know the the situation that we face together. And, you know, how we got here, the, the, the fragility of the system, how, I mean, it doesn't matter what political background you come from, uh, left or right, it wouldn't matter who was president, this, this caught America on the back foot and just kind of caught our, called our bluff, you know, and uh, so that's something I think that has been uh, a huge shock for everyone, and it's, it's grief, which is 
you know, shock and then denial. I think we're in somewhere in between the shock and denial uh, stage right now. And uh, what is to come is probably going to uh, be very interesting. But I imagine people in the next few weeks are probably going to get quite angry with what's happened. So th that yeah, has been I mean, the this behind this and, yeah, and behind I mean, me wanting it, to get involved. It, it's definitely been an interesting few weeks and, and I'm so happy that you and I, you know, are able to talk about these different things, talk about these different topics from, uh, I would say a unique point of view that, you know, you and I are both relatively learned individuals. We, we seek to better ourselves by reading constantly and not only just the news and the headlines, um, but we read books and we read history and we understand how, um, you know, history does repeat itself. And, and if you, if you take the time to build your mentality in that way, um, you start to recognize a lot of patterns. And I think we've talked about that quite, quite recently um, before we started the show is, is the ability to recognize patterns and what, what all of this means in terms of the new normal, um, whether that's going to be a negative or a positive thing. You know, when this thing first started popping off, you know, I guess in the States, it would, would have been around January, February. Um, it, it was quite clear to see some of those patterns emerging, you know, about two weeks before the Houston rodeo was talking about uh, shutting down. I already had it in my mind. Not, not to say that I'm some sort of, you know, profit or fortune teller, but you can recognize these patterns. And I think that's what's important for, you know, those who are, who are going to be listening to the show is, is to understand that patterns have meaning and math has meaning. And when you start to look at all the data that's been coming out over these last few weeks, I mean, we're now into uh, April, the middle of April, and we've been under a lockdown, you know, quote unquote, for the last almost, what, 30, 45 days, um, or, or getting into that yeah. 45 day period. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think in this situation, in my opinion, probably, uh, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. I think if some steps were taken earlier, um, we probably wouldn't, probably wouldn't have had the rodeo, probably shouldn't have had it. Uh, but it went down anyway. And, and, little things like that just kept adding up. And that is why we're in the situation right now. And, you know, we are, this is the most advanced country, you know, on the planet. And we somehow have the most cases um, with an ever increasing mortality rate, you know, daily. Um, you know, people can say that the numbers are overblown. And, you know, as a percentage, we have some of the low, that, that's fine. But, you know, this, this was kind of let go. For, for too long, we should have been a lot more skeptical from what we were hearing about the Chinese, uh, the, the cases there, and, and just, I guess, just kind of blew it off. And, and now here we are stuck in our house for over a month. At first, it was kind of, you know, it was like, oh, let's uh, I'm going stir crazy a bit. Now it's, it's kind of nice and have a lot less stress, get to do the things that I want to do and enjoy my time with my family a lot more. Yeah. And, and I think that's what's important to I guess kind of take away from that new normal aspect of it is I, I definitely think over the last, you know, 15 days, people are, are starting to get acclimated to this life of working from home and, and um, homeschooling. I mean, by the time we open back up, school's only going to be in session for two or three more weeks. So if, if we're even talking about opening up in May, the school year's only got 
three or four weeks after that. So, I mean, I, I think at this right. point, it's, it's pretty much a, a foregone conclusion. Again, recognizing these patterns, you take a look at Virginia and Virginia's already extended their stay at home until June. So if, if we start seeing that pattern emerge among different states, and there's a couple of articles that you will talk about other states and what's happening there. But I mean, we can, we can definitely see that this is going to be going much further than April and May. Back in February and March, you and I were already saying August. We're, we're going to be looking at yeah. this until August. Yeah. I mean, I just don't see how, I mean, the only reason we have the low numbers that we do now and the early projections from the CDC are even, uh, we've beaten them. You know, we, we've, we have come in below the projections was because of the steps that were taken um, some early, some late, it, it, but it, it, they all pretty much worked. I mean, with the exception of, you know, densely populated areas like New York City, um, where it's just one person can have contact with thousands of people in one day. So it, it's much harder to mitigate that situation there. They've done a pretty good job. But uh, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be talking about even reopening had this been ignored much longer. And if we do, you know, I was, I was reading an article where um, basically one person, you know, they, they don't really quite understand how the virus spreads, you know, not, not exactly yet. Uh, it's just too new. It's a novel virus. And so I was reading that one person, depending on the time allowed to have exposure, depending on how long they're allowed to have exposure with other people, they can infect within one week up to eight people and within one month, depending on where they live up to 90,000 people. So wow. if this thing is lifted too soon, you know, here we are, we're not talking about uh, shutting down for just a few months again, we'll be, we'll be talking about shutting down uh, for months and, you know, indefinitely because we already have hotspots all across the country. You know, they're, they're everywhere at this point. So if, if they were to lift and which I don't think that would be possible, I don't, I don't think that that's even being discussed, you know, a nationwide lift on the lockdowns, but if they were to be lifted, you know, even in your most rural areas, places like Wyoming, Missouri, where there's very few cases, if, if everything went back to normal, you would have hotspots in areas that just cannot deal with that. You know, places with rural hospital systems um, that uh, just just don't have the personnel or the equipment to manage something like that. It would become a federal problem and then you just repeat the cycle. So, you know, lifting, lifting the lockdown for, you know, I've got family and education lifting the lockdown for people in education, you know, well, if you lift the lockdown for people with occupations that have children, you have to lift the lockdown for education. The problem is, is at this point, children can potentially silently transmit the virus back home. And at this point you have, you know, multiple generations living in one home. Now you've created a serious problem, especially in places like border States where this has been, you know, multiple generations in one home have been common for a while. So I, I don't, you know, going back to what you were saying with, with us talking about this in, in January, February, how, how do we lift this, you know, and, and who, who gets lifted first and uh, what are the stages? Because shutting everything down was easy. It was almost like flipping a switch, but uh, starting this up, this is a complicated machine. I don't, I don't think you can just restart it, you know, flip the switch. And I don't think that there's the capability. There's people in, in certain sectors that are more vulnerable than others, more necessary than others. And then, are more likely to have been infected or are infected. So how do you manage those people? And how does the system survive without having them as a part of it? 
So I mean, yeah, I, I mean, there's definitely an argument to be made about some of the some of the irreparable damages that are being done from an economic standpoint, where everything is shut down for such a long term, uh, yeah, standpoint that you know, what do we do with these people who are out of work? You know, I, I'm very fortunate in that right. I'm an entrepreneur. I can find work. I can get work doing what I do. Um, but I mean, we've got restaurants and salons and, and all of these other businesses that are just, what do you do? And I think when, when you start to look at patterns again, hopefully people are being smart and taking this time to educate themselves to find a career path that would help them transition into a quote unquote essential job. Um, and, and quite frankly, when you take a look around a small town, like where I live, pretty much everything's still open. And that's a little bit scary, but at the same time, it's, it's somewhat uh, comforting to know that small town rural American red states are not as deeply affected. Um, I, I understand if I still lived in a, in a larger metropolitan area, I might have a different point of view. But for me, this, this really has been the new normal for quite some time. I've worked from home for uh, over four right. years. I've homeschooled my children since our, our oldest one, who's now graduated, was in first grade. So I, I think I would like to think that we come at this with a unique point of view that we can help those who are listening transition into a better point of view or at least a better mindset to get them ready for what's coming. Because I, I personally don't think we're going back. You know, this no. has been compared to 9-11 and Pearl Harbor. And in each of those situations, the world changed. America changed be it for the better or for the worse, new security measures. We have TSA and we have the Patriot Act after 9-11. You know, did we lose certain freedoms? And I think when we talk about some of the headlines that, that we have for today, um, taking a look at ABC News, a Kentucky, a, sorry, out of Kentucky, uh, health officials are beefing up orders for rogue coronavirus patients. So I'm just going to read off the first paragraph and, and I want to get your take on it. So, Four Kentucky residents have been slapped with a with wearing court-ordered ankle monitoring bracelets for violating an agreement with doctors to quarantine after being diagnosed or exposed to someone with a positive case of novel coronavirus, according to court documents. Now, these people who were tested and, and came back positive and were supposed to be in quarantine signed a 10-page document saying whatever it said that hasn't been released yet. But essentially, you're agreeing with the state or you're agreeing with the local officials that if you're in quarantine, you are in quarantine. And if you're violating it, now we're talking about some serious legal ramifications, but also some civil liberties that are being obstructed, in my opinion. What, what is your take on that? Yeah, so, I mean, we've been dealing, this gives some background on why this is important, you know. In the United States, it's always been an argument about whether we have the right to travel or not. You know, you have an implied right to travel. That's always the way it's discussed. Um, it's never, you have a guaranteed right. It, it, it's kind of absurd because it was assumed, right? The, the basis of our founding documents stem back to the American colonists, uh, you know, wishing to have their rights. Sorry, I just had a bunch of lights flicker. It was really weird. I had a power surge. Uh, but wishing to have their rights, um, you know, as Englishmen recognized. They were seen as colonists and they were seen as less than Englishmen, even though they were all mostly English, you know, it was like over 80%. 
And they, they, you know, the king refused to grant them their rights as Englishmen under the Magna Carta, which had a guaranteed right to travel. You know, it was one of the first in Europe um, where you had a, a guarantee of, of the right to travel. It was basically a re reiteration of old Anglo-Saxon law. And that's kind of, you know, all of the rights that we had from the Magna Carta were seen as guaranteed, you know, to be transferred into the Constitution. And it's the basis of our law. You know, you have a right to travel. At the same time, you know, I'm hearing, well, I'm, I'm hearing these reports, you know, anybody who gets infected with coronavirus, they're having to sign NDAs. And just, I don't even know what that's about. Uh, I heard, you know, this is, this is a national thing. It's not even a local thing. These people are having to sign NDAs and certain agreements basically in order to be treated. I, I don't, I can't confirm that. That's the way that it was explained to me, but I can't imagine that that's true, but it, it seems like there is something that is going on because you, you don't even hear anybody that's recovered from coronavirus really talking about it unless they're a celebrity or kind of cherry picked, you know, by the media. So that's odd in general. I think that's something that should give people pause. Um, you know, do you, you, we I mean, have part all of the, sorts of part of the 10 part agreement, uh, which was obtained by ABC news. It says that I acknowledge that if I cannot or will not comply with the control measures listed, uh, LMPHW shall obtain a court order from Jefferson County Circuit Court to enforce the terms to the agreed order. So, I mean, yes, yeah, so I've, I've just, never heard of anybody. I've never heard of anybody coming down and, and I get it. This is not a cold. This is not a flu. Let's, let's put that out there. It's not something that yeah, we're, I, we're advocating, making, making the, the belittling claim that this is just another flu. I understand that there's some severity. I'd like to, to say this about, about that. Um, so right now I think the U S is like over, well, over a 4.6% uh, case fatality rate or something like that. I, I would strongly urge people go and look at old CDC text of how severe a case fatality rate that high is. That's higher than the Spanish flu. Okay. And so unmitigated, you have to think about this. Had this virus occurred back in 1918, our world would look totally different because you know, we're keeping people alive through ECMO, which you, know, you need to look that up. Uh, it, it's basically how they take your blood out and reoxygenate and intubation and very heavy handed medical intervention. That's, that's keeping people alive. You know, in some regions it's up to 20% of people require some sort of uh, oxygen or intubation. You know, it, it varies from place to place. I saw some sky high number from Mississippi and now Mississippi is the most unhealthy state in the country. You know, I get that. But, uh, you know, America is the, one of the most unhealthy countries in the world. And so, you know, we shouldn't be surprised by these numbers. But if this was unmitigated, you're looking at somewhere between if, if we just take Italy's most conservative numbers, and that's, you know, a 10% case fatality rate up to 15% case fatality rate. Unmitigated, this will spread somewhere between 70 and 100% of the population. If you were to just take 10% of the American public, you'd lose 30 million people. Now, it's unmitigated, obviously, and we have things that we're doing to prevent that. So this is a pretty severe virus. I think, I think it's been kind of underplayed how severe it is. Just on Italy's numbers alone, it's 100 times more deadly than the flu, 100 times. And so that's, that's pretty strong. Um, we've done a pretty good job at, at uh, mitigating it. At the same time, we've been struggling with these civil rights issues since 
I, I, since the time of FTR, when, when basically you were required to register your vehicle to travel, right? That was, that was some of the right. first restrictions on our travel. Before then, we didn't have any. Um, this is also a, a, an arrest. This is an arrest uh, and, and potentially a seizure, depending on how you look at it from an arrest search and seizure perspective. So that being said, I, I don't know if this is, you know, if, if there is an emergency powers that have been given uh, to the federal government and bestowed to the states to allow for such things. Um, I don't see how, a I, I, since the federal government is obviously not doing these types of things, I think if somebody had this happen to them and actually petitioned the Supreme Court, if you had the money or the ability to do that, which most people don't, I don't see how this stands. However, since 9-11, we've seen a com almost a complete erosion of our civil rights. And it, it started before then, but it, it really got kicked into high gear then. Um, so well, I think the famous quote that uh, you know, Rahm Emanuel talks about, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste. Never let a quote. Yeah. I, I think it certainly has, has been exacerbated over the last two weeks. I think right at the beginning of April, you really started seeing a lot of these democratic run states, these democratic governors and mayors really coming out and, and just using the heavy hand of the law and enforcing it. And then you have Bar on the other side who is saying, if you are going to be doing these extreme draconian measures, be prepared for the justice system to come after you as a state or a governor or a mayor. Right. So we've got this really big internal conflict that's going on between the federal government and state and local municipalities. And it's a little scary to kind of be at the dinner table where mom and dad are fighting and you're just kind of like sitting yeah. there with your hands on your, on your desk, just kind of like, um, where do I fit into this? Where do we fit into this as, as just normal everyday citizens where we can walk around, we can go about our normal day to day for the most part and go to the store. Granted, I can't go into the store with my wife now. I can't take my children in there, but you know, where do we, where do we draw the line? Where do we come out of this saying, okay, maybe we don't shake hands as often because you have Fauci who's saying we may never shake hands again. Yeah. I think uh, going back to this, something we touched on earlier with the, uh, the service industry, right? So I think the, the number one small business in the United States is a restaurant. And that kind of scares me, you know, because that's, that's a huge part of our economy. And there's going to be some behaviors that just permanently change uh, from this. And one of them may be physical contact, you know, uh, greetings may change permanently. Affection might change permanently. And then our behaviors, you know, most Americans, they don't even cook at home anymore. They, they go out to eat. So that's actually maybe a positive thing that comes out of more people cook at home. But at the same time, a lot of people are going to lose their jobs over that. I think that, you know, I think Hunter S. Thompson said when the going gets weird, the weird go pro or something like that. And I, I feel kind of like we're, we're in the twilight zone as far as just strange behavior that the government is, is engaging in. Um, going back to the Kentucky issue a little bit. Um, I feel one of the things that Americans are going to be conditioned to in the future is to accept very bizarre draconian measures for situations that may not be as severe as this. You know, th this, right. this is a pretty severe situation. Does it warrant that type of behavior? I'm not really sure. That's going to be a debate for the courts. I think just based on, you know, the principles of ancient law and rights that have existed over the centuries, yes and no, right? Because, I mean, we've seen, you know, there was, we've had pandemics before. 
in this country. And they occurred sometimes uh, right after the founding of the country, and they would lock down whole cities, and no one was allowed to leave under gunpoint. You know, so you know, it, it's it's kind of we're, we're kind of in a in a rock and a hard place because at the same time, um, the behaviors that Americans have are very individualistic, right? And much, we yeah. can we we can you know exercise this individualism. Uh, to our our benefit and to our detriment, because if we do allow this to go crazy, and this and this does become a national security issue, it really does have the ability to undermine the security and safety of the United States. We get to enjoy our our rights and freedoms because we live within these lines on a map. Because if if someone else came here and said these don't matter anymore, well, as as much as we'd like to believe they do, and they do within our hearts and minds, that they won't anymore. And I think, you know, draconian measures are, it's something I have a hard time with, but at the same time, something does have to be done. I don't know how you balance that. And I, I don't know how we keep, you know, what makes Americans American at the same time while preserving America for Americans, because we right. do have to protect national sovereignty. We do have to make sure we're still the, the, you know, the big dog on the world stage. Cause if not, the, the alternative is maybe America doesn't exist for very long after this, because these sort of things happen in ancient history. We saw something very similar happen to the Roman empire with the Justinian plague. And it, and it really right. did have a major undermining effect on Rome. Rome never recovered from that. And it, they, they were, they were in the history books not long after that. And the hordes were at the door and, and they sacked Rome and, and burned, burned libraries and, and countless, uh, you know, beautiful works of art and the civilization itself kind of came crumbling out. We are supported by Aerial Digital. Aerial Digital is a full service digital marketing agency that specializes in custom design websites for small to medium sized businesses. Whether you need a simple one page bootstrap website or you're ready to start selling your products online with an e-commerce website, Aerial Digital is equipped to help your business. Go to aerialdigitalmarketing.com slash new normal. That's A-R-I-E-L digitalmarketing.com slash new normal and save 20% on your custom website today. So that brings up a really good point about kind of the infrastructure that we have and how fragile it is, especially right now. I yeah. mean, we, we are, we are, don't, don't kick a man while he's down is essentially what I'm hearing from some of our military leaders. But at the same time, they're exerting this force of you, you wouldn't want to do that anyways. You don't want to kick us while we're down. And, and are we posturing? Are we bluffing? What's your take on that? Are, are, are we set up right now with this pandemic, with this situation where a China or a Russia or whomever, um, just a dirty bomb, if that were to go off, what, what sort That's of effect would that fear. happen? Yeah. What would happen if a so, dirty bomb goes <clears throat> off in a major metropolitan right now, say New York, and we've got all of these New York ERs that are already inundated, uh, allegedly, you know, right. we, we, again, we keep seeing these mixed reports of empty hospitals and then overrun hospitals. But my yeah. mind, my mind goes into this, unfortunately, dark 
point of view of, man, this would be a really good time if someone wanted to do harm to America, not to say that I'm advocating for that. That is to say that you've got to be thinking about these things. You know, there's a new episode of Tiger King, right? But there really could be somebody out there who who is the next Ted Kaczynski or who is the next um, homegrown terrorist who who is looking to take advantage of this situation. So where does our law enforcement, where does our military come into this? And, and how do we balance that? Again, you, you said it really well that you don't know the answer right now. I don't know the answer right now. How we balance this draconian overreach at times, but then also personal accountability I can be I can be accountable right. to my behavior and to my movements and to my family's movements, but at what point do we say I'm going to turn in my neighbor? And what point do we say, you know what, they're just playing basketball, let them be? So you know, uh, I'll touch on this, and then we'll I'll go back to the the national security part. Turning in your neighbor. That that's tough because I think there's a there's a been a huge snitch culture that's been built in this country uh, over the last twenty years, but there may be a reason you would want to turn in your neighbor. For for example, I think the uh, the super spreader that started the uh, epidemic in Italy was actually a Pakistani migrant, and from what I understand, they're not sure if he did it on purpose or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so <clears throat> this, just the, the virus itself could be used as an implement of bioterrorism. If I was our enemies, seeing the response that we've had to this, no PPE, a supply chain that is completely dependent on foreign countries, especially for critical medical supplies and PPE, and it, it's some of the parts we build in this country for ventilators and stuff like that, but the tubing, the wiring, and all sorts of things uh, that go into those components are made in China. I would, I would be seriously contemplating what with such a, a a weapon. You know, this is pretty scary, and it, it, we can't kid ourselves. We have terrorists that live in this country, not just homegrown terrorists. We have terrorists from all over the world and spies, tons of spies. There was what was that guy that was in the CIA last year? He was in the CIA for twenty years. He was a, a double agent for China. You know, mm-hmm. and so. Just at some point, I, my biggest fear is, is that uh, American civil liberties and rights are actually going to be used against Americans by foreign state actors spreading this disease. And that's kind of scary um, because that could potentially cause some very heavy-handed reactions by the government that are long-lasting. You're talking about a, a medical-type Patriot Act, you know, and that would be a, a, a travesty. So should you snitch out your name? I don't know. There is definitely a reason to do that. I'm not saying that every time somebody you know blows the whistle on reckless behavior, it's it's just you know some blue hair that's you know paranoid or has nothing better to do. You know, it right. it, it can be legitimate, and suspicious behavior probably needs to be investigated because this is not like I see somebody hanging out in the park. It's late at night. You know, this is this is a totally different situation. If if you see somebody like you, we saw those videos coming out of China, people spitting on you know, elevator buttons and, and right. intentionally contaminating other people. Well, I mean, we're seeing that now. I mean, we, we have, yeah. we have the, the uh, Snapchat uh, culture. We have the zoomers that are going around. Oh, the toilet lickers. Pranks. Yeah. yeah. yeah so, I mean, th- they go from eating Tide Pods to licking toilet seats and then they get coronavirus and, and they wonder why. So, I mean, we, we already have this laissez-faire mentality of, you know, there are no consequences, 
So at what point, and, and that's this something is, I again, actually wanted to touch on. Yeah. Right. I mean, and that's just an internal struggle that I face is how draconian do we allow it to get before me as an individual say, hold up, hold on. Maybe it's okay for you to do it over there, but once you start coming into my area, and, and I think that's where, yeah. where you were touching on that, Americans are very individualistic in that capacity. Yeah. And we tend to really only care about our own bubble, our own circle of influence. And as soon as things start encroaching, that's when that frog has already been in the boiling water for so long. Something I talk about uh, with, with my, some of my friends that are from like third world countries, is, you know, they may be poor in the third world country, but they're very clean. Bleach is cheap. It's cheap everywhere, you know, and they're generally very clean. They take their shoes off at the door. They wipe things down. There's never a dish left in the sink. Nothing like that. You know, the house stays immaculate. Why? Well, because you can track in sewage into your house and get cholera and die. But you don't have that in America. You never have that problem. And Americans have become very slobbish and kind of gross, right? And, and because nobody really dies of uh, just nobody really knows anyone who, who just, you know, walked around their house and got killed by some random horrible third world type disease. It just doesn't happen. You know, nobody really dies from anything other than heart attacks and cancer anymore in this country or car wrecks. You know, I mean, it's just, we don't have problems with type. Well, even those are going to be listed as coronavirus to. deaths. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the, so Americans, I think felt kind of invincible when we, when we went into this and that might've been probably one of the ways we mishandled it. Going back to the national security thing. Um, you know, I, I've been hearing a lot of things, you know, I, I, I realized that, uh, there was a report about the air force and the army locking personnel for the first time since the Cold War into Cheyenne mountain. That doesn't occur for no reason. I think right. the military does suspect that we are very weak right now. You've got, I think, four battle carrier groups that are now compromised. I could be wrong about that, but I think I read that uh, earlier today. And we do know that the USS uh, Roosevelt is, you know, that's out of that's out of commission. Um, and and to have a carrier down and have, I mean, how, where do you get the crew? You, you've got, I, I think it's like ten or twenty percent of the crew now that has coronavirus or something like that. Maybe it's more. I don't know, uh, but. How do you recruit that aircraft carrier? How is it that we couldn't decontaminate that underway? That, that there was no ability to decon that ship underway when it's supposed to be NBC uh, capable? They're supposed to be able to do that and, and didn't uh, or couldn't. I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm not blaming anybody in the Navy, but that's that's pretty serious. That probably sends a pretty that doesn't send the right message. You know that 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 this occurred, and and that's probably a pretty dangerous situation as far as national security is concerned. I know that they've been prepping Raven Rock and Mount Weather. Those are uh, you know executive bunkers. Um, I don't think you know I don't think you do that for no reason. I think the government does realize that we are in a very vulnerable situation, especially when you have the Saudis basically intentionally and 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 stating they wanted to intentionally cripple U.S. shale oil um, and, and, and basically did. I mean, I don't care that they reached an agreement today. Um, that, that agreement is great, I guess, but it's still going to cause a long-term decrease in price for, for, for shale. And that was, a huge, uh, that was a huge sector of our economy. That was a huge moneymaker for the U.S. It allowed us to be a you know, net exporter of, of fossil fuel. And that does undermine our national security when something like that occurs. 
um, very vulnerable. I think if I think the government's put in a really difficult situation now because I think that the American people are growing pretty tired of of being treated like children. And I, but at the same time, if control isn't maintained, could our enemies take advantage of that? And I th- the answer is definitely yes. Um, and I, I don't see. I, and I, I'm glad I'm not in, in any capacity to be in charge of anything in the government uh, because, you know, I, I think these are going to be the most difficult decisions any executives ever made. You know, when Donald Trump said that, I, I, you know, he, he likes to his own horn a lot, but yeah. uh, he was right. This is, this, is, this is the biggest problem we've probably ever faced as a nation because this is an existential threat and this is in the country. So this is a threat from within, but we have many threats from without. And, and, and so we're, you know, in, in a well, tough and that's spot. The scary part about it is, is yeah. going back to the whole neighbors aspect of it is I, I want to say that Fauci came out and, and had a, a statement that basically said, we need to treat everybody like they're carriers. And to a certain degree, you have to agree with that, but you also have to take a step back and say, you might want to replace the word carrier with enemy when we start talking about national security. And that's a scary train of thought that this, that's a scary new normal that we have to start treating our neighbors, our family, even extended family who might not leave, live in this house as an enemy, someone who potentially knowingly or unknowingly is going around and spreading this. And, and it creates, it creates an interesting paradigm, I think, because so many people want to go back to normal. So many people want to open back up. So many people want to um, just return to life. And then you have a whole nother side. I mean, we, we have this idealistic civil war happening that we've got the, we've got the mask wearers and the non-mask wearers. We've got the open up the economy and close down the economy. We've got the, the individuals who are, you know, don't care what their neighbors are doing. And then the ones who are reporting their neighbors or, or looking for the means to, you know, either get back at somebody or, Hey, I saw this so-and-so business open. It's not fair. My business had to shut down. So it's creating this animosity that is, is eventually from a national standpoint and even a local standpoint will boil over. I think when we were talking before the show, there, there is going to be a flashpoint. And again, going back to recognizing yeah. patterns, you know, I think we had a really good opportunity or we might have a really good opportunity in the next few weeks at, when we come out of this, should we come out of this, assuming we come out of this. In the following weeks and months after this starts to die down, we have a yellow vest opportunity in, in America. My, my contention with that idea though is going back to your thought Americans have just become so complacent and lazy. I don't even think they know where to find a yellow vest to, to get out there and, and advocate. You, you've got, you've got channels like what we're trying to do and you've got people who are out there speaking, speaking their truth and, and speaking um, about these civil liberties that are potentially being eroded. But where do, where do, where does that flashpoint come in? What do you think, what do you think is going to be that tipping point that gets us to that flashpoint? You know, touching on what you said about the average American, uh, I, I don't even, because that would be like a people's movement, right? Those usually don't go that well. Uh, in modern history, people's movements, you know, they kind of started with the American Revolution, but they, they 
quickly turn into the reign of Tereshevik's, which was one atrocity after another. And then you, you had uh, the, the rise of the Third Reich, and then it kind of turned into one despot or another all over the world, um, you know, doing the same thing. And it, it killed millions and millions of people. You know, the, the founding fathers of this country were kind of rabble rousers. Uh, and they were they were men of prestige and education and uh, an enterprise that had the ability and, and had influence over groups of people within the economy and within the colonies to kind of set the narrative. But even they had a very difficult time controlling what that narrative would be, you know, and, and what we would uh, later become. It became a fight for you know, almost 20 years of, of how this country would turn up you know, or turn out. And uh, they all basically just knew they didn't want to be British anymore, but they didn't really know how it was going to look at the end. Um, so the, the flashpoint is probably going to be poverty. I mean, there's, there's just, there, we're already, there, there are a lot of Americans that live paycheck to paycheck and you just hand them out, right? And these people are going to be unemployed for the foreseeable future. Even if the economy is opened up by the state and national level, you might have corporations that are very hesitant. You'll also have probably, you probably have corporations that, uh, you know, have leaned out and kind of thinned the herd. And there's going to be people that find themselves permanently unemployed after this. Um, and and I, I think that's going to be, even if it's a small percentage when you have, you know, like, what are we up to now? 10, 12. I, mean, I don't, I think they actually quit keeping a total number. They're, 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 they're categorizing it by, you know, high unemployment or moderate unemployment. They're not even giving us numbers anymore. So we don't actually right. know, I think. So let's say it was, we, the last we heard it uh, as far as numbers was 10 million, right? Just a fraction of those people could cause major problems. You know, if they, if they remained in poverty, uh, you know, idle hands of the devil's work, you know, just, you already have, as far as the millennials and the Zoomers are concerned, you have people who have, due to circumstances, not of their own in a lot of cases, never been allowed to buy into the system. They have no reason to see the system continue. They have no incentive in seeing it continue. Right. Um, they don't feel that it's benefited them, that it's a representative of them. In many ways, they're right. I mean, so I am not sure what any one thing might be. But, you know, there are hundreds of things that could cause it. We have a student loan crisis. There's a healthcare crisis. Now it's even worse. You've got a problem with employment. And you can say, oh, our unemployment numbers have never been so low before this. That's fine. A lot of people are underemployed. Or they hold down two jobs. They don't ever see the kids. They might even have more jobs than that. And they get paid nothing for their time. And that's that you can think that, oh, that's a leftist opinion or whatever, populist. I don't really care. That is the fact. You can go look that up. So, um, I, I, I don't really know. I think you have a bunch of disaffected youth ranging from anywhere between, you know, 18 to 40 years old, you know, so not exactly youth anymore, but you, you have people our age that I, you know, them, I know them that just don't care. They don't, they don't want to see the system continue. They, they're basically just the boogalooists, you know, they're out there, they post stuff on Facebook. Well, yeah, they're, they're looking for the hard the reset. They're looking for yeah, the, they hard want the hard reset and, you know, wipe it all away, burn it all down, start, start from scratch. And, and I think that's easy on the surface to say, but the implications of that are not pretty. And this is having a, a major effect on the psyche of Americans. Cause right now you have bread lines, 
right? We never had bread lines before. People, people at least don't think we did. You did. They were next to you in HEB or Walmart or uh, Publix or whatever with their, their snap car, right? That was the bread line. They were there. You just didn't know. So it didn't have that psychological effect of knowing and seeing your neighbor is going hungry. And, and that is probably yeah. going to start happening. Our, well, our so where does the state step in? Down. Where does the state step in in that, in that capacity though? So we have all these high unemployment rates. We, we have the stimulus checks that are now going into people's bank account this week. How much longer do we continue that kind of doling out and, and putting a Band-Aid on everything when we have such high unemployment and it gets to the point where there's just nothing left for them? The only thing that's open are essential businesses. Then what? What does the state do? What does the federal government do at that point? And can they do anything? Should they do anything? And, and how is that going to impact that flashpoint that we're talking about? I think there's so much at stake there that, you know, we're, we're seeing, you know, this isn't the, the zombie apocalypse that we were promised, right? But we are seeing a lot of zombies out there asleep at the wheel of what's happening and they're not being prepared. They're not taking it as seriously, whether, whether or not you take the virus seriously, we should be taking a look at the after effects of the virus and what's happening in, in not only our civil liberties, but our economy, our, our stock market, how the federal government will or will not respond to states. What I'm seeing in the patterns is our president, our executive is saying states handle your business. And the states are saying, ooh, let me wring my hands together and figure out the most, you know, just crazy draconian things that I can figure out. And, and again, going back to, you know, L.A. or going to Kentucky, looking at Virginia, who, who just passed a whole bunch of gun laws. Uh, and they've been trying that over the last yeah. year. They've been trying that over the last year. And then, yeah. again, never let a good crisis go to waste. So we're seeing all of these states taking these powers and doing things that we never thought that they would be doing, going around to churches and taking down license plates so that health officials can come to your house later on and make sure that you get quarantined for 14 days just because you went to a, a drive-in church service. Yeah. Um, so we, we are going to have probably a, a pretty serious issue in the future with uh, basics, basic necessities. You're, you're already seeing it, right? You've got, like I said, you have the local grocery stores. They're, they're, they are now limiting you to one category. You get one item in each category of food, up to 30 items. You know, Even if you're not standing in a food line right now, which a lot of people are because they have no money, that's that puts a strain and then now you're also you know potentially re-exposing yourself to the virus um i i i am kind of what scares me going back to what you're talking about is what you know what comes next i the virus is bad i actually i'm not one of the just the flu bro guys i actually think the virus is really bad i think what comes after the virus is actually a lot worse right that's what scares me the most um well and so and many people are this, not this they're, they're not forward thinking in that, in that capacity. And, and it goes back to the mindset of you, you can, you can, re, you can replace paycheck to paycheck with day to day to just meal to meal. You can replace that uh, anecdotally with, with pretty much anything. And people aren't thinking about next week, next month, next quarter. We're, they're not thinking we have such that a disposable. Yeah. 
we have such a disposable culture and an on-demand culture. I don't think anybody has ever had much foresight in the younger generations. They haven't had to, you know, it's kind of like, uh, just, we have plenty of things you can get your hands on. They're all pretty much garbage. And then once you use them, you can get new ones, right? Given yeah. whatever we're talking about, there's plenty of items like that. Food is kind of the same way. You got dollar menu. You can get the worst, crappiest food for you, basically, you know, for nothing. And a lot of people just kind of live like that. They just live in the drive-through, and that that day is going to come to an end. I think there's there there's a day of reckoning in manu. Well, I don't know that there. You know, I say there's a day of reckoning in manufacturing coming. I, I don't know. I, I hope there is because basically this has called into question the way we do everything you know, the on-demand supply in our manufacturing here. Um, at the same time, there's, it, what's, what's kind of strange is if, if, if there are any changes in the economy, like if we bring manufacturing back here, there's a lot of people who are employed right now who their specialty is working, you know, with the companies overseas that manufacture our goods, either in customer service or, or IT or whatever. They, they work here in those jobs. Does that just transfer over or do those companies kind of, shut down completely and right. just go away and something else gets uh, sprung up in its place here. I, I don't really know. Um, it, I used to, you know, I, I used to have the ability recently to kind of see a couple weeks ahead with this whole thing that you and I both did on, on a lot of uh, different issues. And there is such a media blackout on almost everything. We're not getting employment data anymore. We're not getting, you know, they're not really updating the infections. People, you know, it, it's it's hard for me to get any uh, clear sight of the future. And either they yeah, it's funny it that like you bring that. that. It's funny that you bring that up because I, I've honestly I've had the same feeling going into this weekend. It's April twelfth right now on a Sunday that we're doing this first show since February. And then into March, when we started seeing the patterns, when we could say, we're going to be doing this until June, we're going to be doing this until August. This is the new normal, right? Going into this weekend, I really had to take a step back and say, what is next? Like, I, there is a blackout. There, there is information overload and information that is so contradictory. Fauci is flip-flopping every other day. And yeah. the president is just out there saying everything's good. We, we're going to win this. And, and he's cheerleading, which is his responsibility to do that. Make sure everybody's, you know, staying positive during this whole situation. But it's gotten to such a point where the information has just been so saturated, so overloaded. I go back to one of yeah, my, we're one just of my drowning in the noise. Right. My financial coach, he says, and I, and I agree wholeheartedly about this is we have reached a flashpoint in trust that we are seeing the death of trust. We are, yeah. we are no longer able to take all of the information that we have. I mean, there's, there's obviously some, some folks who will just blindly follow Fox news or CNN or, or whatever your religion of choices in that capacity. But we are seeing the death of trust when you can't even trust the, the religion of the news channel programming that you're so used to because it changes on the hour. I mean, we used to just be able to watch these news yeah. agencies and see a consistent narrative, a consistent story. But now it's just going back and forth and back and forth. And, and I think you were alluding to the fact that 
are they doing that on purpose? Are they getting us to the point? And I say they, I don't, I don't mean to get Alex Jonesy on it. It's not the they of, of, of Alex Jones. No, but nature, they may but, want us to tune out. That, that may right. be the whole point. You know? Yeah. And, and I think that's and, where we're heading know. is this complacency, this, this kind of apathy to the noise. I think that's what we're seeing right now. I think if we're going to talk about patterns, if we're going to talk about what's happening over the next two weeks, over the next three to four weeks, I, th- I think as, as I'm saying this out loud, that there's the pattern that's emerging is the apathy of information, the apathy of, okay, you know, another coronavirus story. Okay, the economy's, you know, not doing so well. People are going to start tuning it out to the point where it becomes a dangerous apathy right apathy in general is dangerous but at the point where people just stop caring and and i think it goes back to your your breadline situation it goes back to people just say you know what screw it i'm gonna go get my groceries and i'm gonna just do whatever i i want to do and they're gonna get to that breadline and they're going to they're going to be either stopped in their tracks or they're just going to not be allowed to come in because either they're taking temperatures at the door or they get to the bread aisle and there's no more bread. Right. Right. They're going to get to the bread aisle and someone's already taken that last loaf of bread and they're just, that's going to be their breaking point. That individual that has reached such a state of apathy that it, it finally breaks that straw that breaks the camel back. They, They reach for the bread or they reach for whatever, you know, comfort item that they needed that week and, and it just snaps. And I think that's where it starts. That's the, I think that's where we start to see some of that flashpoint, some of that boil over people are getting so tired and so stir crazy. And again, going back to, is that intentional? Who, who, who is leading that? Who is guiding that narrative of there's a small sect of people who are just going to get so stir crazy and we're waiting for them to pop off. Yeah. So touching on that for a second, I think it's been apparent for a long time. You can kind of go back to the McCarthy era, right? You can think whatever you want about Joseph McCarthy, but in the end, he and Nixon ended up right. You know, we've had communist infiltrators in our media for a long time. And, and embed themselves in our media apparatuses and kind of just change the narrative long term and stir up uh, dissent, you know, and, and kind of call into question American legitimacy. And I think so. So this is kind of how I see it playing out. We have been in our lifetimes on the downhill, you know, as, as an empire. We had global hegemony, you know, after, uh, you know, we had the Marshall Plan and Bretton Woods Accord. That was NATO was set up, um, and, and we basically ran one half of the world, and Russia ran another half of the world, but we won. And after that, we had hegemony. Maybe we got a little full of ourselves. I don't know. or had kind of a complex, a God complex, <clears throat> but we made a lot of enemies, and our, our, our politicians made a lot of bad decisions and ultimately negatively affected Americans in a big way. And it kind of culminated with the dot-com bubble, 9-11, the wars in the Middle East that cost us trillions of dollars, and then the collapse of the banking system in 08, which, you know, we bailed the banks out. Now we can't even get a pause on our bills, you know? And so American legitimacy has been in question for a while. And we've had these social problems, you and I have talked about in the past with with millennials and Zoomers where they are not invested and they have kind of 
a, you know, you had Occupy Wall Street, you had the Tea Party. Millennials, there are some millennials that were involved in both because Occupy was started initially by Ron Paul and the Libertarian Movement. And you had occupiers who later became Tea Partiers. And there has been a dissident undercurrent in American politics and in youth culture kind of, you know, since the 80s, but really getting kicked into high gear around 2005 and 2010. And it's, it's kind of ebbed and flowed. You see it with Antifa and then the alt-right, you know, kind of coming back. But this kind of calls into question the, the American legitimacy in the minds of the youth, which make up the majority of the population at this point. At the same time, we're having this legitimacy crisis. We are having a crisis of governance. You know, at this point, I think 20% or more of Detroit PD is out with coronavirus. And there's, there's numbers like that all across the country where your first responders are being hit the hardest. Mm -hmm. And we're starting to see lawlessness. The average person having this mentality of, uh, you know, or the, the youth, I should say, because I don't, I don't see this as being, although I could be wrong, I don't see this as being something an older person would do or even somebody uh, who's in Gen X. But I mean, I think the average young person who doesn't, who, who, who sees no future for themselves, who didn't see one at the first place, they work in some uh, low wage horrible service job with no, you know, we don't have factory jobs. We have no ability to provide for uh, a decent wage for most people. And, you know, people can say, oh, well, if you're smart enough, you can find, yeah, a lot of people aren't that smart, right? So we have to have jobs for them and they want to have kids and a family too. They want to have a normal life. And a normal person who wasn't that smart back in the day could get a pretty good job at one point in time and could do all of those things. They're, they're probably thinking what's next too, you know, because they're, they're upset and they're probably looking at this as a great opportunity. And it may not even be those who potentially harbor revolutionary mentalities that will do something like that. But if we saw something like an LA riots or large flash mobs over food, and we had an inability to control and govern those areas that were uh, being, you know, brought into question, you're going to then experience probably a wave of, I wouldn't even say that it would, I mean, I think we, we could only hope that it was like the yellow vest movement, but I think you could end up seeing something kind of like the Bolsheviks and that would be very problematic. Um, and, and so if either going back to what we talked about earlier, they're kind of damned if they do and damned if they don't, if they don't control the virus in a draconian way, then their ability to govern and maintain control becomes, you know, questioned. If they don't, then their ability to control the populace and to govern and to control the narrative is also brought into question it, it, one way or another because you're going to just anger different sects of the population. If you clamp down too hard, people on the left and right who are more liberty-minded, they're going to you know, revolt. They're going to have problems with that behavior. And then people on, on the right, you know, if uh, – if you if you don't control the situation and somebody you know if threatens the livelihood of their kids their family what have you with disorder they're also going to have problems with that this giant that's kind of a, a multifaceted topic right it's not just as simple as the legitimacy crisis it, it, that that there are so many layers of of uh, problems so built many. into that. But, but that, that could be the undoing, 
I, I think that I don't think that we're above it at this point. I think the American government, right or left, has completely ignored uh, most of the population now for about 30 years. And we talk about the opportunity that is here. So, I mean, this this certainly isn't intended to be a, a Debbie Downer episode, especially for our first one out of the gate. I mean, there are opportunities, and I think that's where the new normal aspect comes into it, right? So we see a lot of people who are uh, suddenly want to become farmers, suddenly want to become gardeners, suddenly want to start raising livestock. And, and I think to a certain degree that's that should be encouraged and I think, again, going back to a positive new normal, if we saw more people cooking at home, if we saw more people become entrepreneurs, if we saw more people homeschooling, that could be a positive turn for our society. I think we might get better control over our children if if we, you know, bring some of those standards back home and not depend on the state to either indoctrinate and or teach, however you want to look at that point of view, uh, the, the children uh, of tomorrow. And so I think some of the positive aspects of that is people are going to the store and some stores like in Michigan are roping off the garden section, which again, going back to the draconian aspects of this, why are people not allowed to fend for themselves in that capacity? Why would they not be allowed to buy some seeds, start a garden and just start doing something proactive with their time off you know whether they're working or they're not they should be taking this time to invest in themselves invest in the knowledge that has been lost over the last hundred years you know grandma and great grandma would be doing so much better than us right now because they went through some of these things they went through the great depression they went through 1918 spanish flu so having this mentality that you know all of our civil liberties are going to be taken away. That's definitely a road that you can go down and, and it can get pretty dark and it can get pretty draconian in, in your way of thinking. And I think we've hit on some of that, but some of the, some of the positive aspects of that is that we are seeing people starting to get back to basics. And, and I, when we opened the show up, we talked about this, this show is going to be about, shifting your mindset so that you can be financially prepared. You can be uh, prepared from a providing for your family in a more natural way through gardening and through homesteading, through raising your, your own animals. If you have the capacity, obviously, you know, I think a backyard chicken is probably mo what most people can do in suburbia. But, you know, for, for me, we're very fortunate and I, and I, I acknowledge the privilege, if you will, and I'm not even white, but I acknowledge the privilege that, you know, I, I do own livestock, I do own goats, I do own chickens. Um, so we have that ability to have our eggs and our milk and, and even our meat because we raise sheep as well. But not everybody has that opportunity. But if we start, if we start shifting the mindset of our meat doesn't just come from the Walmart meat department, the HEB meat department, I think we can start changing people's attitude about not only what they're eating. So again, it's, it's very multifaceted, very multi-layered. I mean, we can start going into, you know, food ink documentary language about where your food comes from. And, and I think it's just going to be this, this huge domino effect. That's not just about the health of Americans against the virus. And it's, it's not just the civil liberties of Americans. This is this is knocked over so many dominoes and they're all going at once. And I think that's where a lot of yeah. this information overload is coming from as well. What's your take? 
Yeah. So, I mean, that's something that uh, economists and um, various investors have talked about in the recent past is the everything bubble. You know, everything basically is a bubble. And if something triggers the everything bubble, what does that look like? Um, you know, that was kind of, that was kind of a doomsday scenario all in itself. Uh, and that's, that's, that probably happened actually. Um, the depression, I think it was something like over, I want to say like close to 90, but let's say over 60%. Cause I'm, I'm confident on that number of the population farmers, subsistence farmers, right. Provided to the local communities. Now I think it's less than, you know, in, in that manner. That's kind of problematic. You start to have uh, fragilities in your system that get called into question and uh, supply chain disruptions. Where does your food come from? You know, this would be a good time to start learning permaculture in your backyard, um, how to do small animal husbandry, you know, uh, chickens, rabbits. You can do those sorts of things in your backyard without getting a, you know, uh, the government down on your back, probably right. depending on your, I don't know where you live. You know, homeowners associations could be problematic. I, I don't see anybody bothering you in this time period over something like that. Don't get a rooster. Um, but, uh, you know, you don't bite the hand that feeds, right? So, so part, part of the reason why they probably rope off the seeds in Michigan, and it's not just Michigan. I, I saw it in, uh, man, what was the other state I saw? I think I want to say it was like New Jersey. Or some other place where they, they did the same thing. Conspiracy, I don't know, but I will tell you that part of the system uh, maintaining control is making sure that you have less control over your day-to-day -day existence, right? You have to be dependent on this giant ecosystem uh, to continue. And uh, I well, and we saw that too with with the dairy association and the dairy farmers were yeah. just dumping milk. We have meat packers that are saying, you know, stop, stop all meat packing, and and uh, you know, let let them eat cake essentially, right? So yeah, they're they're not going to be able to have the meat if we don't pack it, right? So we're seeing we're almost seeing a retaliatory nature against the system. Uh, you, I think you said it well when you said bite the hand that feeds is, you know, we're starting to see some of these industries saying, oh, well, we're not essential to you now, right? So, you know, we're just going to dump all this milk or we're we're going to, and I think obviously there's there's a, a little bit more nuance behind dairy farmers having to dump some yeah, milk. Yeah, it, it's because the schools are no longer right. demanding the milk. Well, well, hey, you got you got people who need milk for their kids that can't get it. Go try to get milk right now at the store, you know? The government could have been on top of that, and they really should have. That's something that the federal government should have responded doing because if you know how the dairy industry works and how it's regulated and subsidized, and you know how food distribution works with your local school coming from the federal government, the Department of Education, that could easily have been transitioned to feeding people who were needy right now. Right. And there's probably going to, there, there's a problem, there's a lot of kids that already have food insecurity or they live in food deserts or, or, or one of those things that are gonna have trouble getting food now. That's gonna to add to the legitimacy problem. That's going to make somebody very angry that their kid basically is not probably going hungry at this point. That may be coming, but is definitely malnourished. They're probably not eating things that are very nutritious. And at the same time, we're just discarding so much food, dumping milk down the drain. You can't make this up. That's some, that's some really strange, you know, New Deal tier, uh, agricultural absurdity that we haven't seen in 70 years.
you know, so. Well, that, it's a that's, scary thought when you start talking about supply chain disruption. You you read any yeah. prepper book, you read any. Um, that's the number one problem. Exactly. The the It takes, what, three days for a major metropolitan uh, to descend into chaos once the supply chain is, is cut off. Three days. 72 hours. And then hours. if you live in a rural area, they descend on you. Right. I mean, and, that, and that's a scary. That's, that's the way that's it's projected. A, there's a really good book. Um, we'll leave it in the show notes um, called One Second After. It's, it's a series of yeah, books, three books. Book. And, and it's, it's so eye-opening. It's something that I definitely want to reread and just go back to it. I mean, the, the basis of that is, is an EMP goes off and it shows the one second after, you know, it takes place over a year. Um, but it shows how quickly things are disrupted from supply chains to within if i'm if Things i'm you would never think about book, of course like within the first three weeks people who need medicine will just die i mean just flat out do die. you remember people the, who uh, need insulin uh, the, the, do you remember the chapter in the book about what happened in the nursing homes in, in the community right and how they were just oh gosh yeah that that's occurred now that's we've seen that now in foreign countries we've seen that in spain that, that right. is a that is a nato ally well, I mean, yeah, they're basically this is, just this cutting is a, down the, the EU country. The, they're they're cutting off their ability to get in and out, right? So they're locking these people in. They're locking the doors behind them, and and when you read that in a book, and it's it's fantasy. It's like watching an episode of Jericho, uh, which had the same kind of similar uh, plot line. Yeah, great, great show. But you start seeing you start seeing it happening across the sea, and you're like. When is that going to happen here? Yeah. I mean, I live in a very old neighborhood or a very old town. There, the population is is you know of of a older generation. You know how how long before? Again, assuming that there's a supply chain disruption, how soon before the we start seeing some of that happening here? And that's the scary part. But not not to go back into the Debbie Downer aspect of it. It's it's just something that we have to start thinking about because we we have lived in such a me, me, me society. We have lived in the instant gratification of Netflix and uh, the illusion of choice and, and almost the uh, inundation of choice, too much choice. Um, that it's, it's going to be illusion a hard wake-up there's, there's that... Uh, there's that uh... The famous George Carlin, you know, stand up skit of the illusion of choice, you know. Um, but but uh, it, it's it, it's uh, what is it the uh, the tyranny of uh, oh I can't remember what it is the, the tyranny of uh, choice, you know, having so many decisions to make and your brain can only effectively make a certain number of those, and yeah. being just bombarded with that every day. I will say something in all, in all utmost sincerity to people who are listening to this. Um, if you are not gardening right now, you have, you know, uh, a very limited time to get on that, uh, on that train and you should, you have nothing to lose. It's very inexpensive. And, uh, I think one of the biggest problems we might see coming up uh, it would be, you know, produce doesn't last forever. There are limited growing seasons in this country we're seeing infections, you know, this didn't last on surfaces for a while. I do get that they irradiate some of our food, but there, there, there's, there could be potentially just an import and export problem because of the people at the docks being infected. You saw the huge layoffs at the beginning of this thing in Long Beach. 
at the wharfs there, the longshoremen, I mean, a, a huge amount of them were laid off when there was no goods coming into China. That could happen in another country. Then you don't get your oranges. You don't get X, Y. It doesn't matter, right? You're, 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 those aren't coming. So if you have the ability, if you have just plants, you have pots and you have some, some space like on a porch, you should think about growing some things that you like. It's very inexpensive. You, you are close approaching a time that you're going to miss the, the, the growing season in the window uh, on, on a lot of things. So I would definitely get on that. And just familiarize yourself with the farmer's almanac because that's really going to set you up for when you should be planting certain things. And I know my wife takes care of the the majority of, of our garden. You know, I kind of do the manual labor aspect of it and, and she's out there as well. Um, but familiarize yourself with the seasons that we are yeah, again, going, back to, <laughs> going back to the new normal aspect of it. You know, some of the positive aspects, people are going to start recognizing the seasons. Oh, I can't grow a tomato in the middle of February. Right. I can't grow this in the middle of the summer because it's just going to get scorched. So people are going to hopefully start getting back into this basics uh, of taking care of yourself, right? We're being treated like children right now. You know, mom and dad sent us to our room until we learn how to wash our hands correctly. And hopefully once we get that down, we'll start learning some other positive attributes of, of what this quarantine is doing to people that they'll, no, they'll no. be cooking for themselves. They'll be looking at the refrigerator a little bit more conservatively when, you know, you, you go open the fridge or the pantry and you say, Oh, there's no food. There's only ingredients to make food. Right. So let's right. just go to pizza hut. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And a lot of, I mean, I've been guilty of that myself and well, I, you know, here. <laughs> I, I, and I, it was kind of, kind of ridiculous. Cause I mean, it, I, I lived in the same town you did at one time and uh, in a, a really rural area of that location. And, uh, you know, we homesteaded, we had all, all our own vegetables and we had plenty of animals and we just like, Oh, let's go into town and get a bite to eat. Cause I don't want to cook it. that. That's probably not going to happen anymore. I mean, now obviously you can't cause the places are shut down, but, uh, you know, just, uh, I would recommend, you know, if I could recommend a book, we should put the show notes would be like back to basics or country wisdom and know how. Things like that. People should probably start to need your, you haven't really seen growing seasons in the store. I mean, I remember growing up. No, we can't get that. Cause it's not a season. You know, I want this, I want some oranges. Well, you can't have oranges because this is the you know fall and they're not <laughs> there are no oranges. We've eaten all the oranges for the year. You know you can have you know orange juice concentrate or something. We don't even see that anymore. Everything is on demand from one country or another. Uh, that that probably isn't gonna last much longer. Just if there's a delay in shipment from farms within this country, you will see your greens and certain vegetables rot. You won't have those. You know, and, and that's one of the reasons they pick unripened fruits and vegetables and they what is it ethylene gas i think is what they, they gas them with ethylene to basically flash ripen them or something like that e even doing that i mean you're, you're you're running the risk of so many things going wrong with that supply chain that you know it, it becomes very fragile and it's just not even worth your risk to think about that if you planted a couple of tomato plants you could pretty much guarantee that you're going to have tomatoes this summer you know that's right. not going to be a problem. You can plant some kale, make some kale chips. You need greens, you need nutrition. So that's, that's, that's all I've got on that topic, really. <laughs> I'm going to look at any of our other show notes that we have here. 
So I think we've, we've covered some of the, some of the stuff that we've been talking about. I mean, the totalitarian tiptoe is, is kind of what I've been, you know, jokingly saying is how, how, how much, how much more are we going to take? And, and I think as we wrap up, Quentin, you had something that you wanted to kind of get, get out there as, as a final message. Um, if you've enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear your feedback. Um, we'll have a link to our Facebook page. The new website will be up here, uh, hopefully within the first few episodes, uh, where you can start checking it out. Um, as the audience grows, as the potential for this audience, um, and, and this platform grows, we definitely want to hear from you guys. So as, as we continue the show, as we continue to come up with topics, um, we'd love to hear what you guys have to say about it. So Quentin, I'm going to turn it over to you and then, uh, we'll, uh, we'll start to close out. We're, we're right around an hour and a half. So I think this is a good first show for now. Yeah. So I have a bit of a tirade that I'm just going to read. So if, you know, uh, bear with me. So this is what I wrote. The coronavirus is a once in a lifetime crisis. This confirmed everything that conservatives in the past claimed about our system unregulated entry or immigration, outsourcing or manufacturing would ultimately be major problems. When we demand to do something, we end up being told that we're racist, bigoted, or you know, anti-capitalist, we're against the free market, et cetera. They try to beat us with this term as people die in this country right now of a foreign illness. Uh, the false globalist rhino uh, you know, obsession with the stock market initially the onset and it could cause it could cause problems with containing it, it, it later if, if uh, Americans are cheaper to lose than um, profits uh, the liberal media is feeding us one lie after another about the situation we're now debating about whether this is fake or not instead of holding the elites accountable you know uh, the economy at this point this this should be I know this is a huge concern and people do have debts and obligations but it, it's art of Officials stick in corrupt dealings of a banking system run amok and roughshod over our republic. And since 1913, our government has been beholden to these oligarchs. They have regulated our food industry to the point of absurdity. They pay people not to grow food so that we may import foreign food and we may pay over, pave over our farmland. And then they lend us money for houses they bought in neighborhoods that used to feed us, making us dependent on foreign and potentially hostile nations for our food and to a corrupt system. These elites outsourced our manufacturing. They're presented as better Americans and good businessmen by selling out their countrymen to do business with communists. They've enriched the lives of foreign communists at the expense of the American, the American parent, the American child and its future, and all of those who will now die because we outsource the essential items that could be saving their lives right now. Who benefits from this? Do you benefit from this? No, no, no one does. These are the same elites that received incentives or subsidies to poison our public with opiates. And when addiction and death began to rack up, our, they just raised our taxes uh, for jails, rehabilitation, more police, state hospitals, morgues, burials, and suicidal families. The same people insource your jobs through H-1B and EB-5. They force you to train your replacements and they unemploy you because with the, they unemploy you and the infrastructure that you built 
the average American is one that work for these tech companies that help build this infrastructure that we get to enjoy every day. Once you build it, they hire a third tier foreigner for much less money. They give small business grants to foreigners who pay for a visa. And could you get the same grant? No, absolutely not. They import illegal aliens and low skilled jobs that used to pay more than they do now. And they did it to lower your wages as opposed to paying you a livable wage. The aliens that they import through, you know, import uh, with these slave wages cannot be expected to support a family on that wage. So who pays for all of that and those families and what they lack? We do. We pay for the education, the healthcare, the food, and the social disorder that their workers have brought here that they may use to profit against our will. Even as the American people have been demanding border control and a wall for decades, nothing's done. And now it's started demise. At what point were the food prices supposed to go down with all that low-wage labor? I guess that wasn't really ever the plan. It was always to increase profit margins and to benefit shareholders, many of which aren't even Americans at this point. We bailed out the banks in 08. We did, the American people. We can't even get a temporary pause in our bills while we're mandated to stay home by the government. The economy used to be local and decentralized, made up of people in our communities, not banks. Our communities once served us because it was us. We do not live and die as cogs in the gears of a machine we don't drive and don't own. However, that's how they want us to feel now. The economy was a tool and mechanism for Americans to engage in commerce to achieve greatness. It isn't some abstract concept we serve and die for to achieve greatness for bankers. This could be our moment, but we're too busy trying to disprove the virus and convince people of some conspiracy that's designed to hurt the political establishment. This proved everything that was said on Trump's campaign trail. This, this proved everything that was said over the past 30 years by any dissident left or right at this point. But Ron Paul railed on these things. Now is the time to hold everyone accountable and move with an agenda that brings us back to our greatness and frees us from an abusive master that we have rescued in the past and devours our futures and our children's futures. This could be our yellow vest moment, but hey, let's just let all these people off the hook. We can argue about talking points they set up for us and watch meth heads, polygamists, and spouse murderers abuse tigers. That, that's cool. Yeah, I think that's an unfortunate side effect of some of the, the complacency that we've seen in our nation. Is <laughs> A lot of that would go over so many people's heads and, and, and not... Uh, not look any further than that. I mean, if, if you get anything out of this show, if you get anything about our passion, it, it's about helping people. It's about helping yourself. It's about helping ourselves to better ourselves by reading, by studying history, and by looking at patterns and how we can recognize what's happening. Guys, I, I really hope that you've enjoyed this first episode. We've got a lot more to come. We've got a lot of topics. The headlines are changing every single minute. So we've got a lot to talk about as we continue this show. Um, I hope you continue to tune in. Thank you so much for joining us. Stay safe and welcome to the new normal.